Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the Mojave. Oh, the beloved Mojave, land of mystery and wonder. And what is the Mojave that we are always going on about? It is the driest of American deserts, and the hottest temperature ever recorded was in the Mojave at the northern end up in Death Valley, 134.1 degrees Fahrenheit. But after many decades of believing that story to be true, I have recently looked it up on the internet to make sure the temperature I recalled was correct. And now it seems the Furnace Creek reading of July 10, 1913 is considered a measurement error. At least by some of the experts at the Weather Underground. Well, thanks a lot. Next, they're going to tell us the world's largest thermometer outside the old Bun Boy in Baker is not considered an accurate scientific instrument. It was apparently not a measurement error when, just two summers back, Kuwait claimed the 134-degree title and is officially the hottest place for the moment. They can have it. There are many classifications regarding the American desert, many competing classification systems for the American and North American deserts. Unsatisfied by the usual four or five American deserts that are sort of halfway known amongst certain people, At best, some biologists go so far as to propose more than a dozen named deserts, including the Thompson-Okanagan Plateau, an arid region, and Canada's British Columbia. I've been thinking about that desert in western Canada for a while now. Might need to head up there and check it out. There's only so much you can learn about a place from the rural property listings on the Internet. The Mojave Desert is mostly in southeastern California, but it stretches over southern Nevada, including Las Vegas, and southwestern Utah, around St. George, and over a lot of northeastern Arizona, a place with so many Joshua trees of such unusual size that it can be downright overwhelming, especially if you're more familiar with the smaller, scrawnier Joshua trees common to the National Park of the same name. There is such a noticeable difference between the Joshua trees of Joshua Tree and the Joshua trees of the eastern Mojave that the eastern variety was finally acknowledged as a subspecies or maybe even a separate species, and that eastern version is named for the pioneering desert biologist... Dr. Edmund Yeager. Now, it's dry in the Mojave because of the mountains, the transverse ranges of south-central and southern California, the San Bernardino Mountains, the Tehachapis, the bottom half of the Sierra Nevada Range. Now, these mountains were pushed up from beneath the earth as the great plates of the planet crashed against each other where the Pacific Ocean meets North America. 
And these mountain ranges block out what little rain might otherwise come across, and that makes the deserts very thirsty, along with a lack of vegetation, a lack of much in the way of tree canopy and moist ground cover. Well, that makes for a dry place, dry as a dried-up bone out in the dried-up old desert. The indicator species of the Mojave Desert is the Joshua tree, but it only appears in the higher elevations, especially around 4,000, 5,000 feet up, the perfect altitude for that perfect landscape of a Joshua tree woodland with junipers and uh, green stick leaves of Mormon tea. The Joshua tree needs that little bit more rain or snow up in the hills. So when you see a Joshua tree... You know you're in the Mojave. There are bigger deserts in America. There's the Sonoran, covering plenty of Arizona and the Mexican state of Sonora. And there's the Chihuahuan Desert, covering most of Mexico's northern interior, all of West Texas, the bottom half of New Mexico, the southeastern corner of Arizona. And then there is the Great Basin, the dream landscape of the American West. Great walls of north-south mountain ranges capped with snow for half the year or more. Great sloping plains of sagebrush, sage-grouse, and pronghorn, wolf packs, and immense herds of mule deer. Bighorn sheep dancing on the rocks a mile above you. Cold, cold nights. Dry, clear days. Punctuated by the winter storms, thousand-mile-long blue-gray airships of polar air and Pacific waters. The Great Basin takes up most of Nevada, everything north of Las Vegas and Area 51, in fact. It's the Salt Lake side of Utah, too, and a bit of eastern Oregon, the southeastern corner of Idaho, and that most perfect place on Earth, the eastern Sierra. That sparsely populated sliver of California above Death Valley. The wonderful landscape accidentally preserved in perpetuity by the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Which bought up the water rights ranch to ranch creating a Sierra snowpack water supply for Los Angeles. Beginning in 1907 and lasting through the Mono Lake extension of the 1940s. LADWP bought up more than 300,000 acres of the Eastern Sierra. As a result, the Eastern Sierra never developed in the usual 20th century way. The things we've come to expect is the usual ugliness of the settled areas of the American Southwest, the 20-lane traffic-clogged interstates, the endless, awful repetition of Walmarts and Costcos and strip malls and fast-food franchises, fitness centers and plastic surgery medical centers, the relentless world of the 21st century existence we must suffer. None of that can be easily found in the eastern Sierra. The towns are all hemmed in by their charming and civilized boundaries of 70 years ago, surrounded by sagebrush expanses, peaceful alfalfa pastures with a few handsome cattle here and there, clear cold creeks lined with aspen and cottonwood winding through old neighborhoods and city parks, forest and high desert. 
Oh, it's a place too good for us, and every time I go up there, I can't come up with a single good reason not to stay there. The best place is the place where you'd be happiest to die. And the best way to not die in a Walmart parking lot or at work inside an open plan office or sitting in traffic is to not be in those places when you die. There are a couple of very good books about ravens by the naturalist Bernd Heinrich. The Mind of a Raven is one I've enjoyed, and Heinrich is always turning up in interesting nature films about mystery woodpeckers and the life cycles of trees and all that. Well, I came across an article about Bernd Heinrich in Outside Magazine about his busy working life, mostly spent on 640 acres of Maine woods, and this part kind of jumped out at me. I realized that here was a rare man, a throwback. We live in an age that affords little time and space for communing with nature. We are busy, our days are fragmented, but Burned has dug in his heels against this collective drift. He has recognized where he wants to be in old age and settled in with purpose. That was written by Bill Donahue from Outside Magazine, November 2017. Settle in. Settle in with purpose. Bern Heinrich doesn't even have running water at his main cabin. He runs his laptop off a solar panel when he's writing. He runs something called ultra marathons, and he's 77 years old, which will mean different things to you based on your current age and level of contentment. You know, instead of contentment, instead of a peaceful and satisfying end of life, more and more elderly Americans are working, working long hours for low pay because they cannot afford to retire. We've got Brendan Mays on the line. Brendan, you are currently managing such a workforce, and I want to talk to you about some of the complaints we have heard. Good to have you on the program, Brendan. Tell me about this warehouse and why the county is taking action. The county is taking action against Mojave Mirage Industries due to what they claim to be are labor violations. We, of course, don't think there are any violations or anything, uh, you know, citation-worthy or infraction-worthy to even speak about, but they've taken a slightly different tack and are looking at pulling our permit for operations, for business operations. In this county, it is very difficult to get shut down for anything. What on earth is going on in this warehouse? Well, we do fulfillment and distribution for a lot of large online retail. We have a lot of workers that we classify as independent contractors. 
and it seems that the county, along with the state, tend to want to classify our workers as actual employees, which we completely disagree with. These are independent contractors. They sign a memo of understanding with us that says that they will be working as independent contractors. They are not employees. They claim that we are treating our uh, we're, we're treating our independent contractors to unsafe or unhealthy working conditions and living conditions since we do provide a certain amount of uh, living assistance to these independent contractors, uh, most of them who are uh, the elderly vagabond type who are traveling around the country in RVs looking for work. And we've, uh, we've set up a beautiful parking lot you know, outside of the, of the warehouse where they can pull up their RVs and get the power. We have free Wi-Fi. We have uh, it's like an upscale parking lot, basically. Uh, we've got a, an area where they can uh, where they can purge their sewage tanks. We've got everything set up for them for comfortable living, kind of like one of those Walmart parking lot situations, but with all the amenities that you could want if you're traveling around an RV. They're saying that we've got a, a certain level of concentration that's too high in this parking lot of too many people. They, they can't, one of the county supervisors said it looked like a refugee camp. Well, I'm sorry. I've seen the refugee camps, you know, this, of the Syrian displaced people on TV. And this is nothing like that. This is much nicer. Nobody's living in tents. We don't have kids running around, you know, looking for handouts. None of that kind of stuff. These are self-motivated, working, elderly adults who we provide uh, jobs for and other services for them. And they all seem to be very happy with the situation. Now, that they said that there's a too high of concentration of people, too many people per acre is what they were claiming. In order to meet their initial request to lower the density of the people, we've moved, since they are in campers, we've moved them out on the BLM land and into the areas of the park that are not as popular with tourists and kind of out of the way and tucked around the back of the rocks and down in the gullies where people can't see them and they're not going to cause any problems. We thought it was a great solution. It turns out that the national park system doesn't see it as positively as we see it. And the charge is that you've moved more than 200 ramshackle motorhomes and their full-time residents to protected wilderness areas within the national park. We give all of our independent contractors in their startup package, which of course includes you know, how to apply for certain government programs, how to get assistance. And in this packet, also it contains areas, of maps. These are grown adults. These are independent people. They can they can read signs. They know where they should be going and where they can't be going. So if, if they're occupying areas that are environmentally sensitive or some sort of woodchuck, or well, I guess you wouldn't have a woodchuck out there, you'd have a desert chuck. If there's any of those kind of animals or a protected wetland area or whatever, and people are moving into them, we have no control over that. We distinctly say fly under the radar. Stick your head in the sand, so to speak. Don't 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 kick up a bunch of dust. We've again tried to stress to them that there's areas of land that are national park service and we know how well I don't want to call them uptight. Uh, control freaks, or I don't want to say that they're abusing their authority or anything. They're trying to protect their park, and that's a wonderful thing, and they should be thanked for that. They're doing a hell of a job. That's fantastic. We've tried to move the people more onto the BLM land, because, you know, the BLM's a lot more open to the use by, you know, Westerners, for Westerners. They're really into the ranchers. They give good rates for mining. We find a lot less trouble working with the BLM, so we try to direct the workers 
We try to direct the independent contractors onto the BLM land because there seems to be a lot less trouble when they set up camp there. These people move all around the country looking for work at various times. They go to various places. Uh, a lot of them have now left uh, to do uh, preparations in the Imperial Valley, for example, for the salad crops being planted out there right now, berry season, they're doing planting right now. Uh, in November, a lot of them were working the turkey slaughterhouse circuit down in uh, Texas and up over in Tennessee. We had them doing shipping and packaging fulfillment for a number of large online retailers. We were doing package fulfillment and shipping and processing. And now that the holiday season is over, a lot of those jobs, well, they're seasonal. So they, they go away and, and these people need to work because uh, they got to they gotta pay off their debts, their debts to society, their debts to their home uh, lenders, uh, debts to their family, I'm sure. They've probably borrowed a lot of money from people all over the place. And got Brendan, these, are, these are people who are supposed to be in their retirement years. Well, they, we would like to say we would all be retired by the age of 55 with that fat city pension at $100,000 a year in our houseboat, trawling along Lake Tahoe. But that's not the United States in the year 2018. That's just not the way we're headed. If anything, people are working later and later and later. Congress talks all the time about moving the mandatory retirement age or retirement age from, uh, what was it, 63 and a half, and it was 65. Now they're talking to pushing all the way to 67 or even 70. So it's a nationwide trend that we are not, we don't have the ability to fight, but we do have the ability to take advantage of it. These people need to work. We're going to find them jobs. We're very seriously looking over these allegations by uh, Kalosha about these unsafe working conditions, as they claim. We don't think that they're unsafe at all. And they they say that there is a, a certain threshold or, or number of injuries. I forget exactly what it is. There's a, an accident rate per worker per, per day, which is, you know, some government pointy head guy figures it out. It, supposed to be around 0.07 to 0.08. I don't know exactly how that works. What's 0.08 injuries, you know, per worker per day? It's all all a bunch of numbers being shoved around in a spreadsheet. But they said that our rate is a little bit too high. They said it was high by a factor of five, whatever that means. Yet yeah, they said they said our un, our floor is too uneven, which was causing a lot of tripping hazards and people falling. You know, there were a few bad falls. One lady broke her hip, but. She's an older lady, and that happens. Feel very bad about it, and we we found a lot of workers enjoy the uneven floor. I mean, if you ever go to, to a bank or or you go to the grocery store and you look down on the floor, they got these weird spongy mats that are kind of uneven, and it's actually good for your circulation. It's good for balance to be walking over an uneven surfaces. It is a combination of organic materials that we have brought in to try to level out the floor which underneath is a solid concrete floor. There's concrete under there. It's a, it was a little broken up because of the previous use of the building uh, was a heavy machinery and ironwork, and they, they managed to crack up the floor pretty good. So we, we managed to do some repairs with materials we found on site, locally sourced, it's all organic material, it's dirt from the outside, and we're here to comply. We've managed to bring in uh, healthcare workers from around the world to help us with our, oh, admittedly elderly, older population. They got a lot of health problems, and 
and they're fully qualified to practice medicine, you know, not in the United States necessarily, but, you know, all throughout Asia they can practice uh, medicine. And the best part is we're getting them for a third of the rate that you'd have to pay doctors or nurses, and they provide the same level of health care. The document, which was reproduced in the newspaper and which has your signature on the bottom, says that the intent is to, quote, patch these people up and get them back on the floor. Yes, that sounds like the kind of uh, business-positive, can-do attitude that I like to show and that my workers like to show. Patch them up and get them back in. You know, these people, they got these funny names for themselves, these, these independent contractors. They got a great sense of humor. They, they call themselves the arthritic army. Uh, other ones call themselves geriatric GIs, the, the veterans that we have working there that we receive benefits for uh, employing. Other ones call themselves the vagabond vanguard. I mean, these are people who are living life. They've got a zest and a spirit. And we're there to, when they get hurt, when they fall down on the field of battle, we patch them up and send them right back up to the front. And they do a tremendous job for us. You ever see that movie, Patton? I like to think of myself as uh, in some form or some sort of weak imitation of uh, General George Patton. You know, I'm there for my troops. I'm there to support them. I might slap them around a little bit, you know, to get them their spirits back up. But they're in there to fight and win and make some money. Being packaged and shipped two million individual orders, Ken, in the space of two months. We try to be agnostic in terms of what we're packaging, and, and we're not selling this stuff, Ken. We're just doing order fulfillment. So if one of our clients happens to be a bookstore, well, we package up books and ship them. Another one, maybe pet products. Oh, another another company over here, you know, sells, uh, sells uh, you know, sex toys or whatever. It, it's all the same to us. It goes in the box, a label stuck on it, and it goes out the door in a truck. Whatever it is, that's what we ship. We're not there, you know, to judge. We're not there to bring some sort of value judgment to the marketplace. We're there just to fulfill orders. We noticed that these RVs all contain, they're all self-contained power units. They've got little generators in them, and some of the generators are actually quite powerful, you know, 5,000 5, watt, 10,000, and we thought that it would be a good idea to take advantage of this surplus power that they're generating by plugging their RVs into the building, powering the building off of their generators, which would just otherwise be sitting there useless while they're working during the day. We thought, we got all this excess power generation, all this extra capacity. Why not tap into it? We had to heat the building some way. We didn't need a big long-term fix for the heating system. We just needed to get it up and running. So what we had to do was rely on the heating systems in the RVs to help heat inside the factory. Now, this factory is well-ventilated. We got those little spinning air extractors on the top. You know, we cracked the doors in the back to let fresh air in. But what we did was we got a couple of the larger RVs inside the warehouse, and we fired them up. We, you know, we put little tubes on the exhaust to run the exhaust outside so no one got too sick. And we just opened the doors on the RVs and cranked those heaters to 10. You know, we cranked those heaters to 11. You know what I mean? You know, there's only so many layers you can wear before your arms stop working, you know, you can't even grab the packages. So there's, there's only so many layers you can wear. 
But we managed to get the temperature in the mornings up to just above freezing, so at least could be a little bit more comfortable and get more work done. Because that what that's what we're about, Ken. We're about getting work done. Part of this is our program trying to fly a little bit under the radar, so to speak. We like to rotate our workers, you know, around the valley, around the high desert, get them moving. You know, it's harder to track a moving object than one just sitting out in the open. This is KCDZ-FM Informational Radio for visitors. Welcome to Desert Oracle Preserve Monument. The following campgrounds are closed due to tourist season. Creosote Flat, Jug Canyon, Fitzgerald Wash, Bayute Creek, Centipede Springs, Trial and Error Canyon, and the Molly Saloop. Due to a recent outbreak, you may experience delays at Penyon Hall, Devil's Teapot, Mesquite Harbor, and Tarantula Garden. Goblin Holler has been closed since the accident and is not scheduled to reopen before 2027. Welcome to Desert Oracle Preserve. Regardless of the weather, it is advised that you carry 20 gallons of water at all times in your vehicle and 10 gallons per person on the trail. Please do not bring your pet dogs on the trails in the wilderness and don't leave them in your cars to die in the parking lot at the trailhead. Please just don't. We already have a native canine here in the preserve called the Coyote. Please don't make our dogs eat your dogs. Winter temperatures range from below freezing in the higher elevations to afternoon temperatures in the high 70s and the lower elevations. Prepare to be too hot in the day and too cold in the night. That's just how it is. You will encounter several sections of open cattle range within the preserve. These historic ranches are known for their charming period architecture, particularly the board and batten bunkhouse style of minimalist 20th century leisure equestrian residences. Also known for well-documented anomalous phenomena including red-eyed humanoid entities and seemingly intelligently controlled orbs of swirling light, which have been known to chase people down the trail from Shoshone Point and angry jackass Mesa after hours trespassers are subject to arrest. Visitors are advised to register at the ranger station before embarking upon backcountry trails. Visitors should provide telephone and online contact information for at least three relatives. Blood tests may be required for all hiking campers at Dead Lake and Desert Willow Falls. There is no cell phone service in or around Shovel Valley, Lost Horse Ledge, Pearson's Hole, Lost Hope Canyon, and Quartz Wash. The fringe-toed lizard is an interesting desert friend you may encounter on the dune trails on sunny afternoons. What a handsome lizard. Do not harass the fringe-toed lizard. Welcome to Desert Oracle Preserve. For your safety and for the good of us all, please come prepared when you come to the Mojave Desert. Do not wander the restricted sections at night. Do not leave children in tents by themselves, as tents are not buildings. 
Please enjoy the fresh air and peace and quiet and try to maybe help it stay peaceful and quiet. The chances of seeing anything exciting, a family of coyotes and owls swooping low over the creosote branches and inexplicable shape hovering over the lonesome highway, are much improved by conditions of peace and quiet. Please refrain from throwing your fast food wrappers out the window and please try to not start a wildfire and please remember to take your children or spouse or roommates or elderly relatives back to wherever you came from when you go home. From Amboy to Zizix and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting from KCDZ 107.7 FM in downtown Joshua Tree, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Listen live on your kitchen radio or listen to the podcast on your favorite digital device. Thanks for listening and good night from the voice of the desert.